Let's roll, bro. All right. And welcome to this edition of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. I have Jules from the Giants Brawl podcast on. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today because we have a lot in common. We're both Giant fans. We're both Yankee fans. And that's what this podcast covers. So, Jules, how you doing? Uh, I know you said before we got together on Zoom that you saw a little bit of Giants Twitter or saw Twitter in general. Um, that's one of the topics we're actually going to talk about today, and I'm going to rant a little bit. Uh, but how are you and what's your feeling on Giants Twitter lately, if you've seen it? Uh, well, listen, first of all, Alex, thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure. I always love branching out and, uh, you know, getting the Giants brawl message out there. But in addition to that, listen, Giants Twitter – is always we always kind of clown on it because it gets a little crazy right <laughs> i mean that, that that's where they could go from one extreme to the next i mean listen there was shit about saquon barkley that i know i was reading how uh you know they were they were bashing him and i forget what the, the name when they were coming like uh say naquan or something like that or oh, we made a mistake quad and they come up with all these stupid little phrases to try to say like how bad of a pick this was in 2018 now just because of you know one major injury and then he had that small injury about two seasons ago so it does get a little ridiculous to say the least. Yeah. And I've asked other fan bases if they've had this type of confrontational stuff on Twitter. And they said, no, we don't have, we don't, you know, my brother's Jets fan, oddly enough. And he said, we don't fight with YouTubers. You know, the content creators don't fight based on, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I want to go on to Giants Twitter a little bit. Obviously, you marked on the Saquon Barkley sort of discussion. And Yesterday, I believe there was a Leonard Williams discussion of whether we should resign him at 20 million, you know, what he wants and how much of a playmaker or contributor he is to Patrick Graham's defense. And I want to say this. So I usually don't call out people on my podcast a lot, but I'm going to do it now because this guy, he's been all over Twitter. Jules, you probably know who this is. I know you guys call a lot of people out on Twitter, and I like seeing that, to be honest, because there's not a lot of guys who are willing to stick up for their fans and stick up for, you know, Dave Gettleman and whatnot. But there's this one guy, his name is Will. And he, for the past how many years, has been complaining about Dave Gettleman. Day in, day out, his username is some miscalculations in 2020. Uh, excuse me, 2018. And I'm all fine and well with people saying the facts about Dave Gettleman, you know, the 2018 stuff and what he did wrong. I understand that. But, you know, it's really annoying to see that a lot of people are muting him because he's constantly bitching and moaning every day. And it's not just that there's one comment he made, which is extremely harsh a and B, I don't know what type of piece of trash you are. You're going to say this about anybody at all. So he says, I hope that something comes up where Dave Gettleman is involved in a sexual harassment or sexual something scandal. And I'm like, what piece of trash comes up with that shit? You know, I'm not all for ranting and cursing, but you know what? You have to be the biggest lowlife on Giants Twitter to come out with something like that. And he's this guy's got like a thousand followers. Like, I get yeah. it. He might be trolling or something, but how do you listen to that and then keep following him and co-signing that? You could hate Gettleman and you could not like the guy, but why would you, you know, just go to that lowest extent of life because you're sitting here and complaining about something that happened two years ago? I mean, what do you think about that? I don't know if you saw. I know. I think I know. I think you know who he is. I, I I've definitely seen the 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 handle a few times for sure. And I know he's definitely had some stupid comments. I mean, this one I did. This one I definitely missed. I don't even know how you would even like get that ridiculous. 
ridiculous and try to like wish something bad on someone. That's just, that's just like retarded. I have like, to me, I have no patience for that, but you're right though. I mean, when it comes to Giants, bro, one of the things we kind of pride ourselves in is, is we love going after things like that. You know, now that I heard this, <laughs> he might, he might be getting a tweet later on tonight from, from us, uh, you know, or myself directly. Cause I really don't care, but yeah, now we, we've even had people on the show where, where we want to bring them on just to debate the issue. Right. You know, we, we love getting into it with that kind of stuff because you constantly hear about Dave Gettleman and, and how he's messed up picks and he should have done this and he should have done that, you know, well, will we be happy in, with having Sam Darno as our quarterback currently? Because that's kind of where we were going to go in 2018. Had we not taken Barkley. Right. And yet we still constantly hear these things. And, you know, one thing that I'm going to actually mention on our pod tomorrow, we usually go live. Uh, we usually go Tuesday nights to come out on Wednesday morning. But um, basically what I'm going to say is with Dak not being signed, and when it's being traded from the Eagles, doesn't that make Daniel Jones the best quarterback in the NFC East currently With, without any kind of argument? I mean, <laughs> what are you going to say? Jalen Hurts is, is the, uh, is the best quarterback. Taylor Heineke. Shot, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and whatever the hell's going on in Washington, I mean, all they keep crying is if they got a quarterback, they'd win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, yeah. you know, that, you're going to hear that nonsense. So, I mean, you know, I just kind of put a little light into it because, you know, look, you know, say what you want about Gettleman. Uh, the majority of the guys that are on with me are huge supporters of Dave Gettleman. I'm the one that always has to kind of take the opposite side to it a little bit just because I'm sort of on the fence. He's made some really good moves and then he's made some questionable moves. And let's just face it. I mean, that's usually what happens with most GMs, right? You're never going to find a guy that's going to make every move and everything is going to work out perfectly. It just doesn't work like that. It's human error. There's mistakes. There's, you know, guys like uh, DeAndre Baker that we just didn't think would, would amount to what he did. And now he ended up with Kansas City. And, you know, it's just a mess with that guy. So there was a few, you know, little errors here and there. And, and you know, when you look back on it, you'll sit there and you'll say, okay, fine. We, we didn't take the quarterback in 18, but then we did in 19. Who else besides Daniel Jones would you have taken in that 19 draft? There was no other quarterback that really, that stepped up or emerged. I mean, you know, you had guys like Garden Minshew and, and, you know, a few other names like that, but they were more reaches than anything else. And look, you know what? We, we keep talking about it. And I know we're going to get into it a little bit later on too, is just that if we surround Daniel Jones with some actual offensive weapons, right. And we get back Barkley hundred percent healthy, you know, I think this kid's going to do something. He's going to, he might not be, the next great quarterback, but he can be more serviceable than people think. I definitely agree with you there. And um, I was actually doing an article or similar something on it. You got to surround him with weapons to get, you know, the best out of him, especially when you talk about, you know, uh, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, people crap on Slayton for the year he had, and he didn't have a good year, but also at the same time, he's good fifth round value talent. You don't find stuff like that in the fifth round often um, as well. Going back to, the Twitter argument, there's a lot of, you know, content creators out there, most from what I've seen that, you know, are on the fence with Gettleman, but won't push, you know, won't complain about him. That's sort of my, I would say, morale right now with Dave Gettleman. Uh, but you take a look at some other content creators, they'll, you know, bash him and trash him and complain about him and whatnot. See, my problem is, and I, I, as I said, I really don't like ripping the fans, but there's one, another certain guy on Twitter that will go out, repeat with, I'll mention his name. Repeat what Mike Too Nice says. And this is not a rip against Mike Too Nice. He has his own content. But there's this one guy who goes out there, repeats what Mike Too Nice says, and then comes back to really bash up the fan base on Twitter and doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Like one of the other day, I was talking with another content creator on Twitter DMs, and um, the guy on Twitter says, thank you, Joe Judge, uh, for the 2020 draft. 
I'm sorry, the Giants really let Joe Judge draft all these guys, a first-year coach that was in a Belichick kind of scheme and other coaches work from there? I mean, you have to actually think to some of this crap, and you it might be trolling or whatnot, but some people are just really two-faced in certain situations because the same guy, he trolls on Twitter, and he also tells fans to go fuck themselves if they support Dave Gettleman because if you say something like Dave Gettleman, you know, he made a good move on this, you're supporting him. But it's not the same way if you're not supporting him or whatever. But this guy, this certain guy, he actually has made two videos on YouTube. He's got like nine subscribers. Then no wonder his channel hasn't gone anywhere. And, you know, he made like a Washington football team record prediction. This guy called him the R word. Uh, But nonetheless, he's a totally different guy when he goes on people's channels. He was debating this. One content creator says, you know what? I'll go on your call-in show. Yeah, he wasn't going to do that, A. Um, But my point is about this certain guy is that he'll say all this mean, uh, bullshitty stuff about the Giants on Twitter. But when he goes to YouTubers like he – like. Uh, I think it was yesterday he was on Diggy's channel, uh, Diggy546, I think his name is, and we were doing a mock draft, and he was sending super chat after super chat with relevant questions. So what is it? When you're on a live stream, you don't want to be recognized as the a-hole of the conversation, but when you're on Twitter, nobody cares? I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me the way some of these people act. It is true. I swear. I think people like create different personalities when they're on Twitter, right? When you, whenever you go on YouTube, oh man, that's my face. You're going to actually see me. So you're going to see the words actually leave my mouth rather than somebody typing on my profile page, right? Or sending out a tweet. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times they'll just kind of get like, you know, I hate to use the word more ballsy, but all of a sudden they're, they're more like Twitter tough guys. Like we would call them out. That's why I like, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that early because we are always quick to call people out on that kind of nonsense. I love getting into it with different debates on, on like, you know, who's good, who's bad, who's this. Like I said, you know, and, and I think you nailed it too with, with the whole point of uh, some of some most of the guys kind of being sort of on the fence with Gettleman. That's me. It totally is. Like I, I, like I said, I, I think, Look, I want to see what he does in this draft. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I had friends of mine that were calling me up saying to me, like, he's like, man, you better say on a podcast, they need to fire Gellerman. But what's he done? Look at this guy. He's a boss. Andrew Thomas, blah, 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 going on and on and on. And yet at the end of the day, I'm like, yes, but he still did these moves, that move. Like, give the guy one more year. I mean, you got a whole new coach regime that just came in last year or this past season. Right. You had guys that were hurt. You know, you, you have a, a young quarterback that's still developing, which, you know, obviously, look, his biggest knock was to get the turnovers down. He gets the turnovers down, but now the offensive production's down with it. So now everybody's complaining about it. Right. With Daniel Jones. Right. So there's all that kind of shit that goes on. But but when it comes to Twitter, man, it's funny. You did mention that where you said earlier that uh, <laughs> the Giants Twitter fan base. It's like it's like we, we need we need someone to kind of fuck with and we get bored almost, right? And we get to the point where it's like, we got to almost start turning on each other to get heated debates over whether or not Gettleman's good, whether or not Barkley was the right pick, who would take it out of 11? Do we sign this guy? Do we cut this guy? And I, I think that's just like the whole New York fan base where like literally, you know, used to hear for years and years and years growing up how we were the best fans, but also the craziest fans, the most knowledgeable fans. And now since you have all this social media outlet, it's so simple and easy to just, oh, there was something said about this guy. You know what? I don't agree with that. And then say something out, right? And then all of a sudden you're in this Twitter war over crazy shit and you're not even realizing half the stuff that's coming out of your mouth because you're just like flying off texting things on your phone, right? And that's that's what I think happens a lot of times. It gets a little too out of hand because I, I know I, I myself may have gotten a little crazy on that Sunday night game when uh, they were pulling starters out of Washington against the Eagles when uh, some Eagles fans were chirping on, on Twitter. 
yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely got myself in a few situations where I was like, look, man, if we weren't, if we were in the stadium right now, this would be a different conversation. So we need to stop. <laughs> it would end differently. <laughs> you know, so that, that's what oh. I find a lot with that kind of shit, man. A lot of it to me is just fun. Like, I, I, you know, I, as long as, like, I don't care what you say, as long as it's nothing too insulting, right? Or, or something retarded, like you mentioned earlier, where it's like, oh, I hope this guy gets a sex scandal like Harvey Weinstein so his life could be ruined. Like, oh, you're not saying something stupid and, and you know, unintelligent. I'm all down, man. You could curse, you could, you could say whatever, you could make fun of me. I don't care, right? Like, you know, I, I love that kind of shit. I eat off of that. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, to me, it's all fun and games. I never take that shit personally. So if I ever come out, people just understand that I'm just trying to like debate and have some fun with it. But that's just me. Um, going back to obviously you mentioned about the New York media, and it's a good point to bring up. Obviously, with you know everyone trying to be their own person, everyone trying to be their own site. Uh, there's different sites, of course, where it's beat media, and it's also guys trying to be you know the beat media, or at least trying to make their own content. Which is really, I've noticed since become a content since becoming a content creator is that there's more clickbait out there. Yeah. Whether it's the beat media, whether it's you know people trying to be somebody else, and you know they'll get you off. The, you know they'll suck up the fans. Unfortunately, on the topics of Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt, they will suck them up. You know they will go in there say should the Giants land this guy? Fans will read it. They say oh this is not too interesting. Well, too bad you already clicked on it. Um. That's the unfortunate part, and people don't see to realize that. And the other day, I saw this article: Should the Giants come out and sign Deshaun? Uh, not Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Jackson. I'm like, this guy's like how many years old? He's cut from Philly. He's, you know, his life, his NFL life is behind him now. He's his best thing to do is retire, and we're considering him as an option because it's clickbait. I mean, some people just have to read between the lines here. And going back to the beat media, you know, people. Unfortunately, it's kind of like the same subject about people getting sucked in. Some of these guys, and you probably know who the guy is. I'm probably going to reference him in about a minute. You know, some of these guys just make clickbait content that fans don't see and read through the lines. They don't care about the fans. They care about the clicks. They care about the money. And, you know, we saw all through the Deshaun Watson thing. Should the Giants trade for – and people are telling me why we should. And that guy I'm going to reference is Chris Carlin if you know who that is, off 98.7 ESPN. And he also came up okay. with another clickbait. Uh, it wasn't an article. It was a video. Why the Jets should keep Sam Donald. I mean, some people just really have to read through the lines here. And the thing about beat media people, I learned this from another fan base, and it's a good point. These beat media writers, I will give them credit with their sources. And, you know, the things they report, they never really get it wrong to an extent. But they have zero personality. They work for NJ.com and all these other sites. Meanwhile, the Giants YouTubers, some of them not recognized, they don't work for anybody. They work for themselves. They put out their own content, and they work very hard at that, especially when Jordan Ranan said, oh, you know, uh, the Giants content creators steal. We don't steal. You could look at the Instagram guys for that, the ones who have to make fan pages and buy followers. So don't, you know, really start accusing us of that. But have you heard, what do you think of the clickbait articles and just that generic topic? Listen, it's so funny you mentioned that, right? We, we, I would think, oh my God, it was, it was probably like during the playoffs where, where we had like, I would say at least a half hour, 40 minute segment of how we were going crazy about clickbait. I mean, that shit is like out of control. If there's one thing, like you want to talk about the Twitter, like content and people just kind of going out of one another, clickbait is the worst because you see professionals or 
quote unquote professionals, professionals with this type of stuff that's been doing this for the major companies, right? The ESPNs, the CBSs, all that kind of nonsense. And they do it themselves. You know, like this time I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm looking at some of these guys and I'm like, wait a minute, you've been, you've been in the business for 20, 30 years, some of them. And literally you're still putting out stupid things like clickbait. I mean, dude, it's, it's, it's outrageous. And I get it. Look, you're right. They don't really care about the content. Some, I would say some don't, right? They don't really care about the content. They just want to get notoriety. They just want to get clicked on. They just want to have people following them and, and having all this kind of, you know, just nonsense that's put out there. Other times I think it's too, you get these guys that think they're just too smart almost. So they want to like, they want to come up with some crazy idea and thought and be like, oh, this makes sense. So that if the Giants go ahead and do it, boom, I, I told you about it. See, I said that shit. That's why I was talking about it on my thing about three months ago, right? So they could just reference it. So a lot of times I think they, they do with the, like the expression is, you know, you just take a thing, you throw it against the wall and whatever sticks to the wall, bang, that's what I had. So it's like, they'll throw out like six or seven of these stupid things throughout the whole off season. Cause you know, there's not a whole lot of content to cover, especially on some of the down months. And then all of a sudden they'll just be like, oh, you see, look at my article back in, uh, in January 8th. I said that that was going to happen. Boom, look at it happen. You see, follow me, follow me. I know what I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> it, it just gets ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it, it's just some stupidity. There's no logic behind it. I know, and I know we're definitely going to cover this in the game, but I'm just going to kind of preview it. I know I've been getting a lot of flack when I say that I would hate to take Jalen Waddle as the 11th pick, but I at least give multiple reasons behind it. I don't just sit there and be like, I don't like the guy. I'd rather have this guy. I'd rather, yeah, sure. I wish Trevor Lawrence would fall to 11. We take him, right? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm talking realistic of what guys will be there and why I don't know if these guys would fit into the system properly. So, you know, I, you know, I've definitely done some things like that, you know, and, and I told you, I, I had one thrown around where we were messing around where we were saying, you know, is Daniel Jones currently the best NFC East uh, quarterback right now? He is kind of, right? <laughs> you know, but I get what people can say, oh, that's clickbait. Maybe, but not really. It's, it's more crazy. Some of these, you know, basically, you know, you're going to have a lot this offseason. And one topic might be relevant as far as backup quarterbacks go, but any trade rumor that's out there, you're going to get all oh, Zach Ertz, Deshaun Watson, JJ Watt. Should they come to the giants? I mean, some of these people just have to wake up and recognize that these people just doing it for clicks and some, you know, some again, beat reporters are good at their job, but the clickbait content. And some of these guys are really for a lack of better words. And, you know, I don't want to use this word scumbags. You look at MLB. Uh, there was a story two weeks ago and Craig Carton exposed it on WFAN. Uh, Jeff Passan apparently knew about the Jared Porter situation two weeks before it happened. Said nothing. I mean, how could you? How could you even do that? Nonetheless, you know, I get it. You know, a woman was uh, sexually assaulted or whatever happened. I I think it was sexually harassed. But nonetheless, you know about this. You claim to be a guy who breaks news. You claim to be a respected scumbag. But now you're going to go out there and just try to prove your point and try to make yourself great again. And what really pissed me off is these beat writers for the Giants. After Ryan Connolly was cut during the preseason, whatever, training camp, whatever, everyone was going out there saying, look, this is a bad move for the Giants. Keeping Devontae Downs a special team or take Crowder. Who, and again, we didn't know what the season was going to bring. Preseason games not happening was the biggest screw up the NFL did this year. I'm sorry, I have to say it because how many injuries happened the first five weeks? I mean, Saquon, Nick Bosa, all yeah. those other guys. But you get these beat writers coming out and saying, oh, uh, you don't know what happens on the field. You don't know what happens in the locker room. You don't know how, what happens in what Joe Judge sees. So you automatically don't know. I mean, first of all, these are the fans that actually click on your stupid articles. So how dare you say something like that? And I get it. 
Fans are fans, just like we were talking about earlier about taking stuff and only saying half of it and knowing half the logic of a move or something like that. But these are the people that I would say somewhat look up to you because of your sources and stuff. With your sources, you're nothing. You really aren't other than fans and sources. I mean, Andy Martino, he still gets recognition and he doesn't even have sources. He doesn't even break news. So it's just, again, amazing to me that some of these guys actually get traction. And listen, I like the Giants content creators. I've associated a lot with them on YouTube, at least within the first year of my content creating. The problem is, in my opinion, I think a lot of YouTubers need to be more vocal about this stuff. I'm not saying trash it like me, trash it like anybody else, but, and I always bring him up one way or another. His name is Copizzle. You've heard of him okay. and he, Giants YouTuber. So he trashes the media a lot uh, with the clickbait articles and that stuff. And a lot of giant content creators don't like him because, you know, he refers to the other guys as geeks. And that's why <laughs> Giants guys don't like him. Um, but when we're talking about like the other content creators, the more popular ones, I just feel that they need to be more vocal about this stuff because a fan could go out there and say, okay, other than the reaction, what is different when I'm looking at these two? I mean, seriously, it, that's just my opinion and how I would go about it because again, you need to, other than, you know, the entertainment standpoint, you put that aside. If any podcast anyone listens to is entertaining, you know, and then the reaction, you put those two aside and you start making clickbait articles. And if you do or you don't, which is the difference? Which is the people that actually care about you, like the YouTubers? Or are you going to go to the beat media and just read blatant, you know, bland articles that only get them clicks? They don't benefit you. Only for you information-wise, which everyone would probably be spreading. So uh, what is your thoughts on that? I want to get a little of your gist, even though we've kind of been you know, it's great. It's, 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 it's really, it's a really good topic nowadays. I think a lot of it's changing, right. I, in my opinion, where I don't think it's going to, you know, like the direction of having everyone just kind of set up where it's like these major networks and these guys breaking off and doing their own podcast where they basically, they basically say, they basically follow the same format that they follow forever when they were working for a major network. You know, it, it's all, like you said, it's all kind of just regurgitated type of stuff that just kind of is repeated over and over again and stats down the throat and all these different things rather than taking the content and forming an opinion on it and then also making it kind of like more entertaining than normal, right? That, that's something that I always try to drive for where we, we you know, we, we take the facts, we stay hardcore fans, but then we also bring some jokes into it. We make it, a you know, a little bit more personal. We, we try to like relate to like how, you know, well, what if I was really the GM or what this, that, and, and not hold back to where I got to sit there and say, oh, wait, gotta be careful if I say this because somebody might get pissed off on Tuesday because I said this thing yesterday, right? You know, like it, it's just annoying with that shit where a lot of these guys will just watch everything that they say as far as content's concerned with the, in regard to like a sensitive topic. They won't actually ever really give their opinion. So after a while, it just becomes so robotic that like a lot of these things are boring. And I think there's other guys that are starting to create their different platforms now where they're getting away from that. And they're kind of just giving it like a little bit more to the mainstream where they're saying, look, man, this is how it is. This is what I feel. Look, you don't have to agree with me. It's just my opinion, right? I'm not here to, you know, I'm not trying to hurt nobody. But look, at the end of the day, you know, maybe I don't agree with the way that this, uh, you know, this rule is in place or that this, this, uh, you know, person got off with, with doing nothing, you know, as far as, uh, like you mentioned earlier with the whole um, uh, Porter thing, right? If you were, if, if how like, uh, you know, uh, you know, nothing was said for two weeks. So, you know, somebody should have came out. 
out. I'm going to say something like, who cares? Like, yo, that's what I felt. Like it bothered me. And I'm just going to come at you with my opinion. And I just feel that like a lot of these podcasts are now a good portion of them are trending that way where they're, they're getting away from the, the nonsense of always having to follow what the mainstream wants to do. Oh, you know, a thousand people on Twitter told me that I should feel this way. Well, screw it. Then I'll be the five people that feel this way. You know what I mean? But as long as it's like you're standing for something good rather than just trying to stand for something that's just a little too over the top or too personal to people or really a, a, a you know, a sort of sensitive subject. But I, you know, I, I don't know. I, that's just sort of how I feel. I, I think that like content is changing and I think that's what these podcasts are allowing. And you're going to start to see a little bit of a change. I think even more so with the mainstream where they're going to start to like sort of relax a little bit more and, and be a little bit more personal. Cause you know, you mentioned earlier about personalities. You're right. A lot of times you don't ever really get to learn these guys' personalities. They just sort of like plain, you know, they just come at you one way they give you the facts and they're like, and that's because I've been doing it for 25 years and that's ESPN and we'll see you later. You know, I, I don't know. I, that's what I've been finding lately. Like a lot more people want to see edgier and funnier and creative type of uh, sort of podcasting. And it comes down to two things. And I was having a discussion more of a, I would say almost argument with someone today. Cause I had a website and he wants one direction. I want another, but we, you know, come to a resolution on podcasting, but as I said, it's a different, you know, sort of subject. Um, there's a lot of people out there as I said earlier with the clickbait content that try to be, they try to make websites and try to be the beat writers, you know, Andy Martino or whatever guys anyone can think of, they try to be somebody else. You, you have to make your own content and, you know, whether it's be entertaining, whether it's going to be informative, you know, sometimes yes. you'll have those YouTubers, you'll have those podcasts where it's going to be boring as hell, but Hey, it's informative. It's your own sure. content. And if it gets views for you and if it gets, clicks for you and your fans enjoy it well you know what you have a success on your hands and the other thing is is that a lot of these beat writers in ways are scared to critique their own teams that they cover and that i learned from another jets podcast called let's talk jets radio they're actually probably you know streaming soon but um obviously this is in prep for tuesday's podcast but these guys they used to have credentials his name is tyson roush and kevin circuit these guys used to have credentials they used to do the probably boringest things on planet earth they lost their credentials because they critiqued the team on too many occasions and also for the fact that the one guy's dad is a season ticket holder for the jets and said hey you know if your guy uh meaning your son hangs jets apparel in the background we're going to take away your season tickets which is absolute bullshit because that team sucked for years and yes, yes that is a true story and you know, ever since they lost their credentials, obviously they've had side jobs. One's a teacher and one's like uh, martial arts, whatever. And they've been doing some funny stuff since then. Like they've attracted guys from other fan bases to go watch them. Like they, for the Super Bowl, they did uh, a music, funny comedy segment. They had the one guy beatboxing. It was, you know, crazy all over the place. But I would say the main point of that is, you know, create your own content, but don't try to, uh, you know, mock somebody else, be your own person. And, Going back to the Bieber writers, if I didn't say earlier, a lot of them try to promote a team message. They're scared to rip their teams because they might get fired. They might get their credentials taken. So you have to read between the lines with this stuff. Going back to the Connolly thing, Giants fans absolutely hated it. Was it a good move? Yes and no, because we wouldn't have seen Tate Crowder. But at the same time, Ryan Connolly was coming off an ACL injury. And again, again, you know, we didn't have – I would say good linebacker too for the first three games of the season. It was Devontae Downs. 
I mean, he sucked. He's a special teamer on the field. But the beat writers, again, if they don't agree with you, if the team message is, you know, trying to make the best move for the Giants, they'll regurgitate that. And then you won't have, you know, you'll get all these types of people disagreeing with you. So that's really my thing when it comes to be your own person. Don't be like them and, you know, create your own content and don't promote a team message. Don't be afraid to rip the team. And also, don't be afraid with some of these Gettleman haters. Don't be afraid to go out there and have a change of heart and say, okay, Gettleman did this good. So, again, it's just transparency, and a lot of fans need to start waking up in that aspect. I agree. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, waking up in that aspect, that, that was a good one there because, you know, we, we'll say it a lot of times too where it's people almost like they, they almost pretend, they almost act like they're sheep. Right, and then they're getting hurt. Like the herd is getting moved into one direction of an opinion, and that's it. You know, you'll see like you'll see the herd just go right along with it, and they're all like, "Oh yeah, that's good, that's great." You know, I'm, I'm all for that opinion. That's that's you know that works for me. Instead of like sitting back and saying, "Look, man, form your own opinion," right? You're gonna get a lot of things thrown at you, especially on Twitter and YouTube and all types of stuff. And form your own opinion, man. Look. Not every move the Giants make are going to be good. Like, there's a lot I disagree with. And you know what? I never want to be on a platform where I have to worry about if I feel like, say, Joe Judge made a mistake, that I want to criticize Joe Judge's move or Dave Gettleman or any of the players or anything like that. Screw that shit, man. I, I wouldn't do this if I couldn't, if I couldn't at least be a true fan to say what I feel they could have done. Now, look, am I going to sit there and try to, uh, you know, criticize every move and say I could have done this better? No, of course not. But if there's something that's out there, like, uh, you know, for example, let's just say Gettleman goes through this draft up coming in April and he makes a few mistakes. I'm going to call him out, man. <laughs> like I have no problem doing that kind of shit. Right? I'll go back to I'll go back to a time when um, I'll never forget. Don't quote me on the year or, or the, the pick we had. But I remember and I shit. I wish Twitter and podcast and all that kind of stuff was a thing then. Right. Because I would have been livid. Uh, I'll never forget. I'm sitting there. I'm on my couch. I'm at home and I'm looking at the pick and they're literally going back and forth between taking Sean Alexander and Ron Dane. And I'm going crazy because I remember seeing Ron Dane play at the Meadowlands that season. And he just didn't look good. He, it was, they used to have this thing called the kickoff classic and he was playing on Wisconsin. I remember what he played. He didn't even look that good. He just had this huge offensive line and he was a big guy himself and he just would run behind it. And that was kind of it. He was just like a straight ahead type runner. And then you look at Sean Alexander, was this like dynamic back that could catch, he could run, he could do all shit. I remember I'm sitting on the couch going crazy. I'm like, oh, Sean Alexander, please, please, please. Giant select Ron Dane. Listen, I got so sick to my stomach, I shut the TV off. I had to leave the house and go for a walk, all right? <laughs> like, that's how crazy it was. So, yo, I would have been fucking, like, on Twitter going crazy over that move, all right? Just to kind of give you the kind of perspective there. And I'll be honest, man, I flipped out when I heard Dale Jones' name. I'm not going to lie. You know, I thought I, we should have went defense too. there. I was one of those guys. So, you know, listen, it's going to get entertaining that first week in May when you get me back on the podcast and I see some of the picks that we actually had to make. <laughs> Definitely. A lot of, you know, when I was going back to the Gettleman haters, let's acknowledge the fact that a lot of these guys don't say that they were for Saquon Barkley in 2018. The whole fan base was, you know, I would say uh, persuaded, hypnotized by the idea. Let's give Eli one more year and we're going to get Saquon as the running back. And 
Dave Gettleman kind of said, you know, uh, Saquon's a good guy. You know, he's a good pick. He's a generational talent. One of the press conferences and a lot of Giants fans said, okay, he's going to pick Saquon Barkley. What do you do? He picked Saquon Barkley. Let's be honest here. I wanted Josh Allen. I wanted to fully rebuild in that situation. People were telling me, and I had Penn State fans because I lived in Pennsylvania at the time, tell me, oh, Saquon Barkley, he should be the second overall pick. And I said, no, we need to rebuild right now. We need to get a quarterback, Josh Allen. And then, you know, one of my teachers said to me, you know, there's a quarter, you know, they'll take the quarterback next year, which they ended up doing. But, you know, at the same time, some of these guys don't come out there and say, oh, well, you know, I was for Saquon Barkley. Nobody says that because it's not to their narrative. It's not to, you know, if, they, if they're afraid, for lack of better words, if anybody finds that out about them, if anybody does that research and goes back to 2018, that they're going to lose all of the following when they really won't. They'll just stick with the other giant fans that rip Gettleman and will actually come out and have the balls and say, okay, I wanted Saquon Barkley in 2018. And then the other guy, when I was talking about uh, the guy who has like the nine subscribers on YouTube, he's like, oh, why didn't we take Darius Leonard? Why didn't we take Fred Warner? Why didn't we take Quentin Nelson? Uh, did you know that <laughs> did other teams have insight that those two linebackers were going to be as good as they are Darius Leonard and Fred Warner? What about, you know, how many times that people criticize Jerry Reese picks? Is that too far in the past that we can't talk about? Evan Ingram could have taken Ryan Ramchek, who's now on the Saints, and he's the right tackle. What about Leonard Floyd? What if we traded up to get a marquee pass rusher instead of taking Eli Apple at 10, whatever pick it was? So please, you know what? Spare me the nonsense. And I get it. You know, some Giant fan also who appeared on my channel one time just to do breakdown of something went out and said on Twitter, you know, the number two pick is still relevant, but what is complaining about it going to do giants fans? Sometimes they just live in a bubble. Sometimes they live in a bubble and think everything that they say the giants can hear and will listen to. That's no organization ever. No organization ever does that. That would be the worst organization in all of sports, especially if they were based in New York, but in the same time, giants don't hear that. You know, what is bitching and moaning going to get you in the future when you're talking about, oh, Dave Gettleman this, Dave Gettleman that? Look, be an optimistic Giants fan. Say, okay, this team's heading in the right direction with Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman did some good things and be done with it. Stop complaining on Twitter. And, you know, again, you're only losing your self-followers, I think, at that point. Because some people, yeah, they'll um, just go out there and say, okay, Dave Gettleman did this wrong. He really needs to prove himself this year. But they're going to get sick and tired eventually of all the content that they're putting out on Twitter in terms of tweets. Oh, Dave Gettleman this. And as I said earlier, some of these guys, when they go on YouTube, they're two different people complain about Gettleman on Twitter, but they'll discuss the other topics on YouTube. So it doesn't make any sense. They're trying to find the balance of not losing followers and subscribers. Meanwhile, a lot of people have done that already with the anti-Gettleman crowd. So it's just amazing. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, listen, that's why I said, I think it's just, it has something to do with the fact that like Twitter, you can hide behind a profile pic and just tweet shit out from your phone versus YouTube where they're going to actually see the words like, oh, this is coming out of my mouth. These words, right? <laughs> like if people get like, they want to, they want to be a lot more cooler when they're on YouTube and everything. Look, I'll be honest with you in that, in that 2018 draft, Look, I, I'm a Penn State fan. I grew up being one. I never went to the school there, but, you know, I have friends that played and, and stuff like that for them. But, um, you know, I, I was all for it. I loved Barkley. I loved him in college. So seeing him come on my team, anytime I get a player that I enjoyed watching the college come to my team, 
I'm all for it. You know, you look at that draft, you know, yes, Josh Allen, he had a fantastic year this past season without a doubt. You know, I had him on a bunch of my fantasy teams. I had a feeling he was going to break out, especially, you know, with Diggs being there and they, they had they had a few pieces working in the right way for him this year. Uh, but again, you know, if you were to tell me we would have taken him number two overall, there would have been a lot of backlash to that. And he didn't have the best rookie season and forget it. If they were crucifying, uh, you know, Gettleman for, for Barkley, could you imagine what they would have done to Josh Allen in, New, in, in this part of New York? Don't forget those plays. Having a subpar completion percentage. Correct. Yeah, you know, don't forget. Though. Yeah, right. In Western New York, you could get away with that shit. You're not getting away with that in South New York, right? <laughs> All right, the city will rip you apart, man. Like up there, they, they feel for you. They like it. He's a good guy. Like he does a lot for the community. So they get behind him. But over here, we would have ripped that dude to pieces, man. I don't even know if he would have made it with the Giants, right? To be fair. I mean, he might have, but you just, you know, you never know. I know he got a great relationship with the offensive coordinator up there this past season. That's one of the reasons why he stayed on you know, for another year for them so they can make a push in 2021, you know, and he just was able to take it to that next level, you know, and hopefully he just continues moving forward. But I mean, when you look at the rest of those quarterbacks with Josh Rosen and Darnold, I mean, like, dude, we, we would have been lost. I feel with any of them quarterbacks, you know, if, if Barkley doesn't get hurt last season, I don't even think we're having this conversation, right? Because the guy would have probably ran for like 1200 plus yards. He would have scored 10 touchdowns. He would have caught like another 60, 70 passes for another, you know, five, 600 yards. And we wouldn't have been having this, you know, the guy would have been close to, you know, 2000 all purpose yards with like over 10 touchdowns and, and no one would be questioning this number two pick. But, but the fact was he got hurt a little bit year two, then he misses all the last season pretty much. Cause you know, he got hurt real early in game two and that's it. Now all of a sudden we're kind of writing him off where that's it. You know, Barkley, he might be a bust. He might be this. We should have, we should have done 14 other moves. Like it doesn't work anymore. Gentlemen doesn't know what he's doing. He should be five. And that's where all this nonsense just starts, like, like you know, swirling up in Twitter. But look, if he grow, let, let's say he is 100% healthy in 2021, rushes for like say 1,300 yards, scores 10 touchdowns, catches another 60 passes for another say four or 500 yards, who's going to be complaining about him? That, that that's what I want to see. See, that's also something I said a couple of times on a couple of different YouTube channels. When the Giants, if they start winning, let's just say they go out to a four and two record, have maybe a top 10 defense, top. 15 top 10 offense maybe that's a really stretch of imagination but let's <laughs> say they do it you know the, you're gonna see and Giants fans hopefully will wake up to see this point who just wants the team to do well and who just wants to complain and make content and clickbait that's what we're gonna see if the Giants make that next step next year with Daniel Jones and all the weapons that hopefully he's surrounded by you're gonna see a breakthrough you're going to have one side where it's, oh, Giants fans were just complaining because they want the team to win. Or it's going to be, oh, we're going to criticize every Gettleman move ever, ever just to get likes on tweets. So that's something you're definitely going to see at that point in the game. And we'll see what happens in 2021. But once again, I'm not no you know Gettleman lover. I'm not no Gettleman hater. But at the same time, you know, give him his credit where the credit is due. Yeah, I agree so, with you 100% there. I, you know, I, I told a lot of my good friends when they were complaining about it, I said, look, man, it, it's ride or die this year, right? Like, he's got his chance. He's got a few picks in. Give him this one more draft. It's not – he's not going to make such terrible decisions on the 2021 draft where we're going to be, uh-oh, that's it. Now we're five years behind. You know, it's not going to happen that way. He's still going to get some good talent. He's done it all, all through. And, look – if I if I come out and I start saying that this guy's the guy to pick and this is who I would take and I start I get behind it, trust me, I'll eat crow. All right. I was a huge Isaiah Simmons fan last season. And I was pumping that up, man. I was posting, tweeting those pictures of him in the Giants uniform and shit. 
And look, you know, I, I get it. He, he may need another season or two to develop. And, you know, I don't want to just say that he's going to be a boss or anything with the, with Arizona. However, you know, taking Andrew Thomas, finding out that, that he played on, on an ankle that he needed surgery on after the end of the season, that he waited all year to make sure he played the rest of the season until getting that surgery, man. I, and, and he actually got better as the season went on. I think Andrew Thomas is really still going to be a fit. You know, a lot of, a lot of times I think too, especially with, you know, you say with the clickbait and, and just trying to get shit out there and, and making it so, so easy to do. I see a lot of times that people, um, you know, they'll, they'll just give up on guys way too early. You know, years ago, a quarterback would come into the league. They wouldn't even like, they wouldn't even smell the field for the first three seasons of their career. Now, all of a sudden it's like the guy's got to come in and in game one, he's got to be able to throw 400 yards and five touchdowns, right? It's like ridiculous. The expectations we have for them. Same thing with, with, with an offensive lineman. You know, it might take the guy a year or two to just develop a little bit, like let him get used to the speed, the, the terminology, just, you know, going against guys that have been doing it as a professional for, for 10 years, running at them with, that are like all pros and everything, you know, it's a huge adjustment from going from that, from a college game to, to the NFL, right? You know, one thing you always hear, the, the thing that changes when you go from, say, being a high school, you know, standout to then a college level, then to the pros is the game just keeps getting faster and faster and faster every level, right? You know, the major difference between, say, like when you see like an Alabama versus a Clemson game versus, say, you know, uh, like Columbia versus Harvard or something is the speed, right? The speed and the talent, like that's the main difference. These guys can all play football. It's just that when you literally start gritting up there, you have guys that are, you know, almost like freaks of nature, if you will, where they're like 6'6", 280, and they're running like four five forties, which is just like ridiculous, right? <laughs> but some of these guys are doing that, man. And and like, that's what the adjustment has to do. And, and the guys that work hard, stay in the gym, you know, stay late with practice, they develop. And, and there's nothing showing that Andrew Thomas wouldn't be that kind of guy that that is going to put in the work that he needs to just get to that next level. And I, I expect big things out of him in 2021. Imagine if the Giants took Josh Rosen at two, a, because, you know, it's a quarterback. B, because of what he said uh, when he got drafted by the Cardinals. Ten mistakes were made before me. There was nine or ten mistakes were made before me. Like, he wanted to pull in Aaron Rodgers in that aspect because I think Rodgers said something similar in the 2005 draft. But then look how his career, you know. It's unfortunate what happened in Arizona, but now they surrounded Murray with talent. I mean, obviously, a lot of people think the Cardinals are a fake team. I honestly think they are a little bit. I need to see more out of them because the what they finished eight and eight last year. But, you know, it was sad what happened with Rosen. But you know what, dude, when you're saying, oh, eight mistakes, nine mistakes were made before me. And now Josh Allen's emerging with the talent he has. Again, just shut your mouth and wait for the, you know, wait for yourself to develop, wait for your team to develop. You know, it's not just about you. And that's, you know, unfortunately, what a lot of these players in the modern NFL think, you know, think it's about them. And again, one of the reasons why I wanted to trade Odell Beckham Jr. Not that I wanted to trade him, but more like I started agreeing with it after he got traded. Because I started seeing, you know, what it was eventually going to bring. Dexter Lawrence, Shrubel Peppers, O'Shane Zimenez, uh, some of the other guys that we got in that trade. So obviously you'll still have a couple of OBJ fans out there. What did you think of the trade at first? And then what was your later reaction? So I have this thing that I always say, right? There, there, there always seems to be a player that will end up on your team that if he wasn't on your team, your friends will know you. They'll know the type of guys that you'll root for and won't root for. They'll be the first ones that will say to you, 
man, if that dude was on your team, would you still like him? I'd be like, hell no. <laughs> and OBJ came into the league where I was like, yo, that dude is nasty. He's a tremendous talent. But it was like after his first two seasons, he just started walking around like he was the man. He didn't have to do anything anymore. Like that was it. Like he was God in New York. Like he just won back-to-back Super Bowls and like, like whatever, you know, he's got a 12 inch, right? But whatever. <laughs> um, well, you know, with all that said, you know, it, it was just, he just had that sort of attitude where it was just like, man, if this dude wasn't a giant and let's say he was like an Eagle, that would probably be my most hated Eagle. Like I couldn't stand him. Right. So, you know, at first, the, the thing I guess that was surprising with the trade was the whole signing trade that we signed into the big contract, paid him like we mistake, did. But obviously, yeah, we, they turn around and trade him. But yeah. I get it. it. It just it wasn't working with that coaching regime at the time. It just it, it just there was pieces missing. There was just they didn't have true leadership, right? Or, or or if they did, it wasn't the right type of leadership. And where Odell could have been that guy, could have been wearing the C for the Giants, you know should have been right you know having the, the talent he did and, and the leadership just just all of his ability is what kind of pulled away from it so i get getting that out of there you know and that's sort of what we've been like kind of seeing now with judge right he's bringing in that nick saban that bill belichick sort of uh you know community if you would that that's there right where where they're not going to put up with that nonsense you know what i mean like like look deandre baker ended up not you know getting convicted of anything right he ended up playing in the nfl later on this season and yet just not to have that distraction or have that kind of a player on the team who was even involved in something as stupid as that was, is the kind of the message that Judge is sending, right? And, and you know, I we we had a debate like, oh, what if Odell came back? Would he be a great weapon? And it's, you know what? No, I, I think that ship sailed. Like, I would not want to see Odell return to the Giants, not anymore, unless unless somehow, some way, this guy was completely reformed and like he's just a completely, totally person, grew up. He did sort of like what a Chris Carter did, right? If you read about what Chris Carter did years ago where he had a substance problem with, with alcohol and everything, and then all of a sudden turned his career around from the Eagles and went to Minnesota and was just, you know, a, a different person altogether. You know, and I'm not saying that Odell has a uh, you know substance problem or anything like that, but he definitely has something wrong where where it could just be like oh, he's a narcissist or something of that nature. Where if he lost some of that and was a little more humble and came to this team and was trying to show some of these younger guys like how to how to make it in the NFL, yeah, I'd take him back. But it's just not likely, and I would never see him. He's probably never going to be in, in Giants blue again. That's another reason another YouTuber brought it up. You should never marry a player like Odell. You're going to have fan favorites, but sure. if the Giants don't sign Barkley to an extension either this year or next year, that's going to be another player on the list where heads are wanting to roll. Giants fans will be angry. That's why a lot of people don't purchase jerseys anymore. Yeah. They'll take a jersey of a past <laughs> Giant. They'll take a, per, uh, they'll take a jersey of a past Giant like Eli or maybe Lawrence Taylor. They won't purchase a new Giant jersey because that might be that person may be you know, uh, traded or dealt sometime. Uh, for example, on Christmas or near Christmas of 2018, I got a Landon Collins jersey. Three months later, he goes to Washington Redskins football team, however <laughs> you call it. And I was so pissed. But then I learned my lesson. I said, look, you know, I mean, obviously I have a Daniel Jones T-shirt. I mean, we'll see what happens with him. But obviously I said, listen, I, I, you know, I said to myself, I can't be doing this anymore. Where I'm blowing money on players that are never on the team anymore. Nonetheless, going to rivals. So I think that's, you know, it's just being a fan. I'm not ripping anybody for it, but I think the ship has to sail at some point with Giant fans and that aspect of moving on from Odell. And you'll still have those people out there that still like the guy, still think it's a bad move or whatever. Um, sure. But uh, luckily, a lot of, you know, 
what these anti-Gettleman critics are saying. I don't think it's been part of the OBJ trade. I mean, they, you could say that. I don't know if other Giant fans or the critics are saying, you know, OBJ trade, you know, that's what did it for the franchise. Uh, but it's been mostly the second overall pick. And I hate hearing this phrase, 15 and 33. You yeah. know, at the same time, you could say, oh, you know, his first year was impacted by Mara because they wanted to win one more for Eli. I get that, but at the same time, you know, it falls on Gettleman. But at the same time, it does not take, you know, two years to rebuild the team entirely. They're not going to become a contender in two, three years. It takes a while. And people say, oh, look what the Bills did. Look what the, uh, I don't know how many other teams did. But, you know, they could say, oh, look what the Browns did. The Browns took how many years to get their organization right? How many years took for them to get a good GM, you know? So, you know, just have to put that context in there. Every, everything is not, you know, just a headline. You, you can't just, you know, it's, it's context that works with these things. And a lot of giant fans and just a lot of fans in general don't read between the lines with the context. They just take the headline and they run with it and they say stuff. And then they look like an a-hole on Twitter. <laughs> yeah no it's so true man and look you're right cleveland cleveland took forever to rebuild i mean and it's only this year that baker mayfield actually took it to the next level right i mean he was another guy that they were they were kind of writing him off as a bust and in this season he kind of progressed you know kind of similar to josh allen i think he got overshadowed because allen just really blew up where you know baker had a pretty good year i mean if you look at his numbers across the board obviously I don't have him up in front of me but they were actually pretty solid uh, you know, and, and that's part of the reason. But part of it is, too, is that they have this dynamic run game with Chubb and Hunt that's also developed, right? You know, Hunt going into the trouble that he had and in Kansas City cutting him. All of a sudden, he signs with Cleveland. You know, now you have these two dynamic running backs that you can create this running game, Miles Garrett with the pass rush. I mean, they they had a lot of pieces that took a long time for them to get there. And yet they got to repeat again this season, right? You know, like they, they just did it this one year. There's no guarantee, especially with Pittsburgh and, and the Ravens in that division and Cincinnati getting better, that they're going to be good again, right? You know, they, they can end up an eight and 18 really easily this season, you know, with, with things going on or another major injury, Burrow doesn't come back. I mean, um, if Burrow comes back healthy, you know, Cincinnati is going to be a good team too. I know they're picking fifth, but they're, they're, they're an up and coming team in that division. So you just, you never know, right? And, and you'll you'll hear a lot of it too with, with Miami, right? They'll talk about the Dolphins. Well, the Dolphins turned everything around. And, you know, it, it's such nonsense. It's so annoying to hear that kind of shit. You know, we literally had a team that wasn't all in when Gettleman inherited it. And what I mean by that is like you, you touched on where they weren't all in on rebuild. They were like, you know what? We still got Eli. He still got a little left in the tank. Let's just try to win something for him now. And that was kind of what we first did. And then it didn't work. And we realized that that the team wasn't nearly what we thought it was. You know, we were missing pieces on offense. We were missing pieces on defense. And we weren't in a position to do it. So we didn't. So now you took it. You, you basically wasted a year or two with that mentality where now we had to recover from that. Right. And that's what we're kind of doing. You see it with some of the picks. I mean, what, three offensive linemen in last year's draft. You know, I, I'm still OK if we take one in the second round, maybe in, in this year's draft. So, you know, there's there's a lot of pieces that are coming together where, you know what, we're not winning the Super Bowl maybe in 2021, but there's not saying that we can't be an 8-8, eight 9-7, and eight, and seven, maybe even 10-6 team this year. Who knows, right, if the right things are put together as far as the, the offseason and, and the draft is concerned. Definitely. And considering the draft, I know you said earlier that you didn't want to take Jalen Waddle 11. Who were your primary options and why wouldn't you not take Jalen Waddle 11? 
Well, you know, it's funny because I, I, I actually gave one scenario where I would be okay with taking Jalen Waddle. So I'm going to start with that, and then I'll go into the other portion of it. My scenario with that is, is if the Giants are able to obviously keep, you know, we, we got to figure out what we're going to do on defense, you know, with Leonard Williams, Dallin Thompson, right, and all that, and making sure that these guys are kept as well, right? Uh, but if we're able to sign like a receiver, like say Corey Davis, right, 26 years old, guy 6'3", 225, former fifth overall pick coming off of one of his best seasons in a team where he was basically the third option, maybe the fourth option, right? You know, you, you, I could kind of see, and you know, I don't want to make a comparison to Plaxico because they're different players, but I can see this kind of big receiver coming in where we can ha- finally have that, that target in the red zone. That's a big body that could get the ball for us. Right. If you bring a guy in like that, and then you want to tell me that that Jalen Waddle could, could then line up where he could start running his curl routes. And, you know, you have, you have some blockers down the field that can actually block some safeties, you know, maybe, right. Right. Maybe. But again, this is me really stretching <laughs> and, and kind of biting my tongue here because I just think that at 11 with all the things that you're seeing currently going on with, as far as the possibility of four quarterbacks being taken in the top 10, which I highly doubt, but I could easily see three be taken, right? There's the possibility of definitely two wide receivers getting taken in that top 10, maybe another lineman or two. You have Pitts as the tight end. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you're down to, you know, 10 guys already. And now you still have guys like, Farley that are there for for a corner, right? Because you could you could grab one of these big time corners and Patrick Sertain, right? These are some big names that could fall to that. Now I haven't even mentioned one of these DNs, right? Or these edge rushers in like Cody Pay or, or Rouses, right? Over or I always mispronounce his name, the guy from Miami, right? Like that that you know, I haven't even gotten to this. I think at eleven the Giants should have something fall to them. I don't want it to be where oh Waddle's still available and we need to we need to reach and grab him here at eleven because. Let's face it, last season, they were they were talking of Henry Ruggs, and they were basically comparing Wild of the Ruggs, these burners, and, you know, Ruggs throws his blazing speed in the combine on a 40-yard dash, and that's where everybody just kind of said, wow, this guy could be a game-breaker. Yeah, if you have pieces in place, you get one of these shorter, like, speedster wide receivers, they're going to be able to stretch and open the field for you, and that that they need to fall right into that kind of team. I took, a, I took a look at, like, a team like Cincinnati, right? where you have like a Tyler, Bo- a Tyler Boyd and Higgins. Uh, Higgins. You put both of those guys on the outside, they're big guys. And now you pull like a Jalen Wilder who's just running wild over the middle and deep. Yeah, that's going to create trouble. And that's where this guy's like real talent is going to be able to be put on display and, and work. Whereas for the Giants, we don't really have that yet. You know, and we're, we're expecting this dude to just come in and be this playmaker that first of all, he's coming off of a major injury. An ankle injury like that is not something to take lightly. He may have forced himself back into to that, that championship game, which, yes, there was flashes of him looking, but he was clearly hobbled. He wasn't ready. There's not going to be any kind of combine, so we're not even going to see if that ankle's 100%. And now you're going to have this guy. Have doctors to aren't even allowed to examine. Right. You know, and to me, at the 11th pick overall, that's a huge risk. For, for, you know, years ago would have been an undersized receiver because he's under six foot, you know, a guy that relies on his speed and is coming off of a major ankle injury. And yet his teammate, Henry Ruggs, was supposed to be just as good, if not better. There was a comparison between the two. And Ruggs had 26 catches for Vegas when they took him in the first round last year. There's some red flags there that, that make me worried about taking a guy like Waddle at 11. I, I, I hope to God that someone takes him either earlier or something else falls to us there, like maybe Pitts or... 
you know, as I mentioned, you know, I look, if we, we have Patrick Sertain is sitting there at 11 and some of these, other, you know, like chases off the board and, and Devontae Smith, who I'm huge on is off the board. You know, I would love Patrick Sertain. I mean, Dan, there goes our, there goes our CV too. And all of a sudden we might have arguably one of the best secondaries in the NFL period. Right. And, you know, so that's exciting to kind of look at as well. So, that's sort of where I'm kind of going with it. And that's sort of my big knock on Waddle. I know that Devontae Smith gets a lot of knock because he's undersized as far as his weight's concerned, but the guy's dynamic, man. If you look at his numbers, even from last season, he still put up numbers with Ruggs and Judy on that team. I mean, how does that not say something for you? And then all of a sudden you get, you get, you get, a, you know, an injured player in Waddle this season and he just takes over and has one of the best wide receiver seasons in college history. You can't just ignore that type of shit and just be like, oh, well, he's 15 pounds underweight, so he's not going to make it in the NFL. Like, dude, he could put, he could grow into like a man body, they call it, right, as he starts hitting his mid-20s and put on a few natural pounds of weight and still be effective and have a good, long, promising NFL career. So I guess if I if if I had my, my choice pick this year, it would be Devontae Smith. I don't think he's going to be there at 11. But if we, you know, like I said, with the exception of like Trevor Lawrence falling to 11, who I, I, you know, would just be ridiculous, of course, but, uh, you know, Smith would be my number one. Pitts is sort of creeping into being number two. You know, if he's there, you got to really consider taking Pitts there at 11. I do agree with the water part. I think a lot of giant content creators honestly underrate the part of his injury um, because they mentioned absolutely, to be honest, really nothing about that. Um, obviously, there are questions about Smith. And one thing that a giant content creator brought up is, with Patrick Sertain or Caleb Farley, you're not getting a cornerback two. You're getting a second cornerback one, shutdown corner. And I know a lot of Giant fans have PTSD from the Jerry Reese era of drafting Amukamara and uh, Eli Apple. But, you know, give Gettleman and this coaching staff a chance and maybe get a, uh, I don't know, a second cornerback one, a, shut, a shutdown corner. Um, but in my opinion, honestly, with this whole draft, and I haven't made a, as a pinpoint decision of who I want to take, if the Giants take like Carter Samuel or Corey Davis in free agency, because they're not getting Galladay or Robinson, let's be honest, let's put the fairy tales aside. Um, if the Giants get Samuel or Davis, I would not go ahead and double up in the first round and get Waddle, to be honest with you, because a, he's likely the wide receiver there. B, if you can attack another need, like maybe, I don't know, maybe tight end, maybe linebacker with Kermoa or uh, Micah Parsons. Maybe you can attack, obviously, as we just talked about, the uh, the second cornerback spot. If you can attack those positions, fine. You know, that's all fine and well. I think this draft, meaning 2020, should have, for lack of better words, taught Giant fans the first round doesn't mean crap. Because you take a look at the talent we got in the later rounds. You take a look at uh, Cam Brown, special teams contributor. You take a look at uh, Carter Coughlin as well. He played really well in his rookie year for someone who's a seventh-round pick. So I think a lot of Giant fans have to open up to that. And in that situation, if Giants got Samuel or Davis, I'd pick a corner, Sertain or Farley, honestly, in the 11th spot. Or we could trade down maybe with a quarterback-needy team if it's Washington or if it's the Bears now that they didn't get Wentz. Um and then I would take a wide receiver in the second, third, maybe fourth round, because obviously we have to address the interior of the O-line with Lemieux struggles. I mean, I'm not saying count them out, but at the same time, you want to add depth there. I would not, you know, have a problem with them taking an offensive tackle, maybe. Um, also, linebacker, as I said, and uh, some other needs, maybe like a tight end, like a Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State. You know, two, two things a tight end needs to have to be elite in the NFL. You need a block and you need to 
catch passes. Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, all those guys, you know, Fryer Muth fits the profile of that. Pitts, a lot of people say that he can't block. And a lot of people, you know, are saying uh, everyone has different scouting reports on him, but a lot of people are saying, oh, he can only go to the outside. He's basically a wide receiver um, with his frame. But unfortunately, some cases, you know, he can't beat the one-on-one matchups with cornerbacks because that's what we saw out of Evan Ingram, or at least, you know, scouted in him, is that he creates mismatches with linebackers and safeties. He doesn't do that with uh, cornerbacks. He doesn't create the separation. So I think that's a lot of criticism anyone's going to get for, or at least, you know, debated topic on whether you want pits or not. But I wouldn't be opposed to it, and I wouldn't be opposed to Waddle at the same time. Um, I just really fear some of the injury history as well. And it also depends on what the Giants do in free agency. It yeah. really does. Because as you know, Dave Gellman and John Mara said, we need a playmaker. And um, going back to the pit subject, a lot of people say, oh, wide receiver. That doesn't always mean playmaker. Just because it's wide receiver mm-hmm. doesn't mean he's playmaker. You know, Kyle Pitts could be the centerpiece of the offense. Who knows? We could have a two tandem tight end duo, you know, like uh, back in New England. I mean, a lot of people brought that up. So it's not, you know, as I said, Giants fans have to really open their mind, at least up to this draft. And you have to open your mind to something else too. Caleb Farley opted out in 2020. So did Micah Parsons and a couple of these prospects. So if one falls to you, you have to rely on their 2019 tape, A, and uh, B, you can't be opposed. So and obviously teams will, you know, go out and uh, look, look at the pro days. But once again, you have to have a lot of options there, and you can't just say, oh, my primary pick's Jalen Waddle. It also depends on the situation as well. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, especially with the whole free agency, right? It's going to really depend on them. If you, you know, you're right. I mean, look, if we if we ended up getting Curtis Samuel, Corey Davis, you're right, then I, I don't think necessarily we're drafting that wide receiver one unless, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like Chase somehow fell there or, you know, Devontae Smith, then you got to really think about that again, right, and doubling up because, you know, Gettleman has been known to double up in the past, right? You know, he's done things like that in Carolina where he, he's still, he's taken – uh, he took uh, what was uh, he took Norman and then took a couple of uh, corners right there in the next rounds, right? So he's done things of that nature, right? And I'm not saying that that's what we got to do, but it, it, it's it's a possibility. Um, but you're right. You look. You know what? We we got some great depth late, right? You know, I I know Lemieux's been somewhat of a favorite, not a favorite. He did a pretty damn good job, especially being like I think what was he fifth, sixth round pick. You know, you, you got you to gotta give him a little bit of credit. You know, like that's a guy, right? I was talking about how Andrew Thomas might need a season or two to develop. We talk about a fifth, sixth round lineman. They're going to definitely need a year or two to develop, right? <laughs> it's going to be sort of no question in regards to that. But like, you know, and this is something, and you're right, you know, I'd even bring up Parsons, you know, there's, there's a lot of just, sort of iffy talent because of the way things went down in 2020 with the fact that now a lot of these guys have to just show what they did in 2019 and that's what we got to kind of take for credit as to take with these guys with a top 10 pick where you might see a Parsons drop to 11 you know and I'm not opposed to taking him either I just don't think he's gonna last to there look there's a really good chance especially with all the hype I mean look if all this Twitter hype is going on, and it's not just Giants Twitter, it's just Twitter in general. Oh, Pitts, 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 he's the next guy. Yeah, yo, he's he's a you know generational talent. They love throwing around that one, right? He might get taken. You know, he he could very easily get taken by Cincinnati. He could get taken by the Eagles. He could get taken by Carolina because they love the tight end, right? They haven't had one since Greg Olson. So I mean, there's plenty of guys that could end uh, teams rather can end up taking that guy. You know, but I just like I you know one thing that I feel sort of confident with as far as the Giants are concerned is, I told you they're saying three quarterbacks to four, two offensive linemen possibly, uh, a tight end, three wide receivers, two corners, a linebacker can all be picked in that top ten. Right. But 
the talent is so good that almost any one of those guys at 11 fits in really well as well, you know, fits in really well there as, as a pick. So that's where, like you said, I, I don't know if I could literally hang my hat on anybody except for maybe Chase, right? <laughs> I mean, Chase fell to 11. He was sitting there. It's like, whoa, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I got this guy, no doubt. But uh, that's why I didn't even mention his name before because I'm like, there's no way Chase is falling to 11. But if he did, because he did opt out too, and you could kind of go through the same shit with LSU and say, look, he only had the one season. He had Joe Burrow. Everybody else was lighting it up that year. I doubt it. But, <laughs> you know, if he did fall to 11, I mean, shit, that would be great. So there's going to be a lot of that. And, and like you said, the, the really big thing that people got to work really kind of focus on is the free agency, right? What are we doing free agency? Because that's going to kind of dictate, or at least give an idea of who we should go after with that 11th pick once we know if, or if we even signed anybody at that point. I think it opens up to two things. Um, if the giants do not re-sign Leonard Williams, I think Dave Gettleman and the giant staff will say, Listen, we need to get a pass rushing slash run stuffing defensive tackle. Maybe like the guy out uh, of Alabama, Christian Barnamore, I think his name is. Maybe they take him in the second round or something like that. Maybe they find someone who could trade up or wants to trade up for a quarterback and they trade down and maybe select Barnamore with like the 20 something pick. Um, so that's something that giant fans, or at least, you know, at least anyone themselves have to open up to, you know, possibly, you know, the situation, uh, Dalvin's a different story because as much as he is an underrated giant, um, he is replaceable at some extent, you know, we still have BJ Hill and RJ McIntosh on the roster and those guys can still be used. You know, I would like that to happen if we don't resign Dalvin, you know, if he's looking at 10 million, $11 million a year, which yes, you know, he can take. And he kind of does deserve it a little bit, but he said he was going to take the hometown discount. And when you say something like that, Giants kind of lower their price a little bit just to prioritize Williams. And then when you want this, you know, higher price and kind of what the Giants were envisioning, you're going to suit, you're going to get two separate directions. And unfortunately, he'll be walking in free agency to a different team. But, you know, prioritize the talent you have on the roster with McIntosh and Hill. You know, McIntosh was out all 16 games last year because he was never activated but i want to see a little bit more of him you know not just somebody just throwing the trash i mean they could end up taking like a six round d tackle but who knows and also it opens up to another subject because this happened what last week carson wentz traded indy they may look for another quarterback and not stick to jalen hurts someone who doug peterson drafted so that is definitely something for a lot of mock drafts to go after even though they are really not accurate outside the top 10 um but it's definitely a note to take if your draft scouts around the league, if you're a GM around the league, hey, you know, the Eagles might not take Parsons. They might not take another wide receiver. They might not take a corner. They might take a quarterback. So it depends what the Eagles are scouting, but obviously other teams won't know about that. Um, but I'd like to move into the Yankees a little bit. Obviously, spring training has begun. I've already started looking up Yankees tickets, even though they're at uh, 10% <laughs> capacity. Uh, anyone who is listening, though, Definitely. And I don't know if they're going to update this with all the prices going up and whatnot, but it seems, you know, pretty regulatory right now. Uh, StubHub, Ticketmaster and SeatGeek are the best. Don't go to Vivid Seats. Uh, don't go to I don't know what the Yankees website does. I think they do Ticketmaster, but don't go to Vivid Seats. They're super expensive. Um, but I've had a couple of good times there. I know at least where I want to sit. But nonetheless, that's going to be in April. I got to see what the weather looks like because I went on opening day once. Uh, back in 2016, when the Yankees versus the Astros, it was freezing that day. Nonetheless, the Yankees <laughs> lost. So, 
Um, but definitely, obviously, with spring training coming back this Sunday and there's been news and camp and everything, obviously, with the Zach Britton, Domingo Herman stuff. What do you think on that? Because obviously, Britton opened his mouth. Uh, Chapman's had a talk with him and said, you know, I want to keep this private. What do you think of that whole situation? And I'm not saying what he did was right, but my opinion is, look, he served his year-long suspension. Um, he obviously missed some time, I think, in the postseason as well, if I'm not mistaken, something related to that. But he did his time now, and I get it. He will have to regain trust from his teammates. But this is not the time to start, you know, talking up and saying, oh, we don't trust him now. Keep that in the locker room, especially when you're in the New York media. So I think it, Zach Britton needs to be a little bit smarter. But once again, it's not like, you know, Domingo Herman, what he did was right. So I want to get your uh, kind of thoughts. I want to pick your brain a little bit on that one. Yeah. I mean, look, it's crazy, right? Because with, I guess, with the shortened season last year and then almost not even being a season, everything just kind of focused on football, right? I mean, I, I know we had a baseball season last year, but like, man, football just took over, right? Like there was no fantasy for baseball, was none of this shit. And literally like just this past week, I was getting texts from my buddies going, oh man, yo, fantasy baseball, you're in, right? And I'm like, oh shit, baseball season's like here again. Like I got to start focusing in on some of my Yankee stuff. Like, man, this came out of nowhere. I can't believe it. Like it's going to be opening day, like in like a week it feels like. But uh, no, <laughs> on a serious note with that, like, hey, hey, listen, you're right. Opening day, April baseball is hit or miss, man. There's been some some games I've gone to that have been like, wow, I'm running around with a t-shirt on because it's beautiful out. And then there's been days where like, I got like a winter jacket on. And I'm like, I'm dying to get out of there. I feel like I'm on a football game or something, right? But like- <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just how, how it is when it comes to that. And look, is it a little surprising that, you know, Britain was able to leak out a few things and a few comments, you know, being, being a Yankee? Yes, because you don't usually see that unless it's like, you know, Derek G is speaking out or, or stepping up as a captain for someone, you know, that that's usually when you'll see, or one of the managers just kind of taking reins on it. Or of course, like, you know, uh, when George was, uh, was the owner and, and he was running the team, like he would say whatever the fuck he wanted to, he was the owner and he did what he did. Right. You know, so it, it's, it's a rarity to see any kind of debate or any kind of confrontation go public in, in a Yankee uniform. That's just something I'm not, you know, too familiar with. I don't think it's going to create much of a problem. I think they're going to nip that shit in the butt quick because that's just how the Yankees do things, man. Like, look, it got out a little bit and this leaked out. Somebody at some point, if they think there's anything that needs to be said or this story gets bigger than it should be, they're going to come out and say, look, it was a misunderstanding. It's taken care of. And that's how we do things. Right. And that's the end of it. You're not going to hear anything more about it. This is our teammate and we're moving forward. Uh, all right. Cause they're just not, you know, they've never been that team or organization that has had any kind of that kind of crap going on. Unless you got to go way back with like Thurman Munson and shit, like back in the seventies. Right. But again, that was a crazy era, right. You know, like, and you read up and you see some of the shit that was like in these type of things. And he had to, he had to like check Reggie Jackson, but Thurman Munson being a captain, he checked Reggie and then you never heard that shit again. Right. And it was taken out of context. If you look back, this whole thing that he was like the, the straw that started the drink and, you know, you can look it up. You ever watch the thing called the Bronx is burning. They go through that whole little, they play it out and that show is a great show. But, uh, you know, anyway, they, that's just how the Yankees are. You you don't hear this kind of nonsense. It doesn't get carried over for long. They nip that shit in the butt, if you would, and that's it. They move forward because that's just the type of organization you're talking about. Definitely do agree on that. And obviously, um, we're two separate managers now. Two separate managers are going to take it the way it is. Obviously, uh, some moments where Yankee fans, including myself, would like to go back to the Girardi era. Um, 
but also, unfortunately, uh, this going a little bit off topic, but it's still related to the Yankees is I was looking up Yankee tickets. I thought to myself, obviously, the last game I went to was the 19 to five blowout. And that was supposed to be a birthday gift. Oh, gosh. And, you know, me and my friend were trying to decide a little bit. I mean, my uncle obviously got me the tickets because, you know, he's works for this company in Red Hook. And uh, he has a guy there that um, he sells the tickets and whatever he has left is basically free to take. And we were sitting, I would say, next to the section in the Delta Skybox, Skybox Suite. So it was like tech, section like 215 or something like that. And obviously we watched the 19-5 blowout. And my friend always says to me, you know, we could have went to that Tuesday Orioles game. I said, you know what? That was not my decision. So, you know what? Don't blame me for that stuff. But unfortunately, that's the last memory I have at Yankee Stadium, at least for right now. And then the last sporting event I was at was November 2019 when the Knicks lost to the Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Hornets, I think. Yeah, when Fisdale was still coaching, but that was a hellhole. Um, <laughs> definitely so. Uh, Clark Schmidt, he's out for a couple of weeks. Gio Estrella may play on Sunday, and Brett Gardner um, obviously is coming back. And what do you think of Clint Frazier finally getting the spotlight in left field? I think it's a long time coming. I mean, listen, the, the kid has proved it a few times. That I get it. He goes on these, like, flashes where all of a sudden he's hitting, like, you know, 360, right, with, with like, 10 home runs or something ridiculous, right? And of course, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, he, he looks like he's going to be Mickey Mantle, right? And then all then he goes back to being Clint Fraser, right? <laughs> and, like, just like that overnight. So, I don't know. You know, listen, anytime, you know, a player gets called up or they're playing – it's hard to just kind of get thrown in on a major league level, play for a few games, you know, stretch for maybe a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden either get sat back down or become more of a bench player. And then, you know, you just kind of have your role reduced where versus where you get a guy like Gio Urshela, right. Where, you know, he was kind of written off, right. Like Cleveland let him go. He was done over there. Like they didn't think much of him. And all of a sudden he comes to the, to the Yankees, obviously always had a glove, but now all of a sudden he starts hitting and he's batting 300 plus. You know, and he came out of nowhere just because he got into the right fit. He got an everyday role in third base and was able to say, look, you know what? I had the talent that that was there. And this is the guy that they were saying I was going to be right. So do I think Clint Frazier could be that? Yeah, he could. He could emerge and be, be you know, this year's Gio Rochelle, let's say. Um, I don't know, you know, I, but they, they bought a gardener probably for depth and leadership. You know, they just want, they need, they still need that veteran presence. I mean, if you look around the team, you know, you know, you have like DJ LeMayu. Uh, outside of that, there's not many veteran guys. I mean, yeah, you want to call Aaron Judge a veteran, but he's not really. You know, he's been in the league for a few few seasons, but you can't really say he's a veteran at this point, like a like a you know seasoned veteran of, of, of that sense. Yes, he's got postseason experience. Yes, he's been in the league for a few seasons. Yes, they're sort of building him to be the new, the next captain, but he's not there quite yet, or else he'd be wearing that C, right? So, like, you know, he, they're close. You got a lot of guys close, so – just having that veteran presence, like a CC that was in, in, in on the team last year, you know, just having that sort of there, it makes a difference just to have these guys in the clubhouse because they, they know how to keep the young guys, you know, sort of calm and relaxed and more focused. And you need that. So that's why I think they brought back Gardner. Plus, he's, he's, a, he's a scrappy dude. He hustles. He still can hit a little bit. Look, there's nobody that in these clutch situations that you want up there at times that you want that relief pitcher to be worked because he'll work in that bat. We know this, right? I got to sit there and all of a sudden 15 pitches go by and it's still like a 2-2 count, right? <laughs> it was something ridiculous like that. So, you know, he, he's got that kind of capability where he, he, he can wear down pitches, brings that true veteran presence. Uh, and he's been with the organization the longest, right? Pretty much. So, you know, like you need that kind of element as well, kind of on a team, especially like the Yankees. Definitely. And obviously, CC retiring after the 2019 season, he got 2020. 
Um, obviously, no real veteran presence. I mean, that wasn't necessarily an issue, but obviously uh, we lost the Rays. And obviously, you know, a lot of people think now, at least MLB.com does, that the Rays are going to be below the Red Sox. And I don't really believe that uh, because they came out with the projection standings on their social media page and they had like Orioles last. They had uh, Rays, Red Sox. Like the Red Sox just lost Ben and Tendi. So I don't know where people are getting this thing from. Oh, the Red Sox are going to be good. I think it's going to be us. I think it's going to be the Blue Jays. I think it's going to be the Rays because the Blue Jays have a young core that I think is very underrated across the league. And I think the Yankees do have to pay attention to that because they kicked our ass a couple of times last year. Oh, yeah. You know, that what was that one game where the bullpen gave up 10 runs in one inning? Um, Adam Adovino. <laughs> yep. Um, so obviously that is a team for Yankee fans to watch and not totally get oh, uh, we lost the Blue Jays, you know, they're one of the worst teams. No, they're building a core, and they're going to be trying to kick our ass. I'm going to try to be kicked their ass, you know, in the same division. So I don't think that's, you know, something to go under the radar. Um, kind of relating to that as well, just in a little bit of a sense, what do you think of these new MLB rules that have been implemented since 2020, the expanded playoffs? I don't know if that's happening this year, the seven-inning doubleheader. Um, what was the other one? The run on second base rule, the expanded DH. What do you think of those rules? Because I have – uh, sort of a mindset on that one and uh, you know I'm, I was born in 2003 so people could associate me with you know a generation z but I honestly think um also to note this year and spring training is gonna be boring this year because we're only facing five teams and you know you could say all oh, travel restrictions whatnot but the Yankees are going out west this year something they didn't do last year other than to face the Rays at Petco Park they're facing the A's they're facing the Angels they're facing uh how many other teams in the AL West? So you can't necessarily make that argument. Yes, yeah, spring training, but at the same time, you know, it's going to be boring. So I want to pick your brain a little bit on those new MLB rules that at least Rob Manfred is trying to implement. Yeah, listen, dude, they they were they served the purpose for the whole COVID thing, right? Because they were trying to they were trying to cram in as many games as they could in such a short period of time. So it made a lot of sense because you were doing a lot of these double headers and all this kind of shit. Outside of that. No, I, I hated it. That, that seven inning thing was absolute trash to me. I felt like I was watching a little league game where it's like, oh, top of the seventh inning, the game's over now. Like, wait, what? Like, dude, this is ridiculous, man. Like, no, like they, that, that to me was just pathetic. I hated that rule. The universal DH though, you know what? I, I've always grown up being a Yankee fan. So I was an American league guy. So as long as I've been around, they've always had a DH. I didn't know any, I didn't know the league before that. So to me, it's just sort of, it's good because it extends guys' careers. You know, you have you have guys like like an Albert Pujols that could just bat, right? Jim Tolme. You know, some of these really good dudes that could hit. They could still hit and contribute to a team, and they're able to do it. I get the whole sort of old-school defensive side of it where, you know, you got to plan for the pitcher to come up and you want to pinch hit for them and all this kind of shit. But I thought the universal DH was, was actually a really good move. That was one of the ones I was like kind of a fan of, but like, man, that those seven inning double headed things are fucking trash. And then extra innings, you're going to start a runner on second again. It's like Bush league, little league shit, man. Like dude, starting a runner on second base. You didn't even do that in high school, let alone fucking in the major leagues. Like what, what, I don't understand like how you're speeding the game up and what you're saving there. Like, you know, these guys have been used to playing 162 games and all of a sudden we have this COVID thing. And now all of a sudden, these guys can't play 162 game season like things are normal i get it you might get nervous that you have to plan for a few you know uh, you know cases where there's gonna be covid and a couple of games might get shut down and you might miss a couple of games here and there 
that's no different than there being a really rainy baseball season, right? I mean, in years past, there's been tons of seasons where there was a ton of rain and it was rain out after rain out after rain out, and they got through it, you know, like all of a sudden now we're going around this thing, which is now going into year two of this whole COVID epidemic and you're not prepared for it. I mean, the NFL was successful in moving a few things around. NHL was very successful. I mean, even though they played in that bubble, but they've been successful so far with this, as well as the NBA. I mean, we're kind of moving past it. You're getting these vaccines, you know, all these things are coming into play where why the hell do we need to keep these stupid like things in place that nobody likes? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate it. That, those two things, man. I do as well. And, you know, I'm no fan of run on second, no fan of seven inning double headers. I honestly think, and one other rule I missed on, but it's, you know, it's a little comment to my head at some point, but I don't think that, I want to be blunt here and I'm going to be. I think that MLB found a perfect time during COVID to experiment with new rules. I think at some point MLB knew, you know, we got to start putting these rules in. 2020 was the perfect, you know, kind of situation. They're trying, in my opinion, at least, to cater to the young crowd. Because a lot of people complain, oh, baseball is too long. Oh, the games are too long. You know what? Just watch the game. It's an American pastime for a reason. And that's what MLB is trying to do. They're trying to cater to the young crowd in a very bad way, in my opinion, with the seven-inning doubleheader and then the runner on second rule. That's robotic. That makes no sense at all. And even though we hate MLB umpires, robotic strike zones will be a part of this, you know, in the next couple of years, which what if there's a glitch and a first pitch down the middle is a ball? What are you going to do in that situation? So I don't think MLB is being smart with this. I don't think you know, Rob Manfred's doing a good job in that situation. And I really hate the fact that he cut so many minor league teams. I mean, that just does a detrimental thing to the sport and so many small communities as well. Cause obviously us being Yankee fans, there's a team in Staten Island was now we could say that, you know, they closed down and everything. And one of my friends who's a podcaster said, you know what? I work there. And you know, just a flip-flopping around just to save a couple of extra bucks. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. You're destroying the local communities, whether it's going to be in a small city, a big city, or maybe even a small countryside. You know, those uh, fans are very passionate about their minor league teams. Oh, have you seen the Railriders? Oh, have you seen the Staten Island Yankees recently? You know, these guys are passionate about their teams, whether it be a small uh, baseball team, an independent league, or whatever. That's something the community bonds on. And MLB just took that away because they want the billionaires to save money. I know you probably, just thinking off, you know, I would say guessing, you probably hated that as well. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely did. I mean, it, look, you're right. It, it, it definitely... It sucks in a way because we don't see it as much as like, you know, Pennsylvania would, right? You go out in the Scranton, right? Like there's not much out there, Wilkesboro. There's just not, right? But yet you had that AAA team out there and that drew a huge crowd for the Yankees. You know, you you there's other cities around the country that don't have big market. You know, you take like a Columbus, Ohio, right? They, when, when the Yankees were there for years. Um, you know, like these, these little towns, that's what they get. Like that summertime comes around and, and man, like that, that city's like sort of jumping in a sense where, you know, like that's the bread and butter. They get some of these young guys, sometimes like some of the veteran players will get hurt and they'll, they'll rehab a game or two there. So, Oh man, we get, we get to see this big time player in our backyard. You know, Aaron judge is coming back and he's going to play two games there. Right. You, you take all that out of there. I mean, granted, he wasn't going to do that on something like the Staten Island Yankees. It's more, you know, division one, but you know, they had a cool little thing going on between them and the cyclones. Right. So like, even for like local things, you could take your kids there. Right. I, you know, I have friends that were saying that kind of stuff where, 
oh, you know, I go there for like a, a third of the price of going to Yankee Stadium or going to uh, going to City Field. And, you know, the kids are young. They don't know any better, right? It's just baseball to them, right? So you, you take that element out of it where, you know, look, shit, you could have went to Coney Island, grabbed the hot dog and saw the Staten Island Yankees play the Cyclones. Fuck it for like cheap too, right? <laughs> you know, like, you know, like those, those kind of things suck that that's not around anymore because that's how you build the fans, right? You know, these kids remembering experiences like that as a young, you know, as a young kid going to the stadium and, and seeing these type of things where, there's a lot more going on and that they're giving away souvenirs and they're throwing things into the stands. And, you know, you have all these additional attractions that these minor league teams have, you know, you, you take that element out of there. So, you know, now the fan base starts to go elsewhere. You know, the kids don't want to play baseball. They don't remember going to a baseball game. They start looking at soccer or football, or basketball, or one of these other sports, because that's where this is sort of built from. That's what kind of built like the, the whole, you know, from the ground up type of thing where, you know, they, they would go as a kid and remember seeing that shit with their, their parents or their father or whatever. And, and you take that element away from it. That's something that's sort of overlooked. You know, you want to speed up the game. You want to, you want to have different features and all that kind of shit. The reality is this, look, anybody that's like sort of in their, you know, late teens, early twenties, you want to go have a good time. You go to the game. All right. Until the playoffs come, then you can go to a couple bars and you watch the game in a bar because that shit's fun too. But you go to the game, man. You experience it. You don't necessarily even have to get a great seat, man. Go sit out in the bleachers and just have some fun, man. Drink a beer, have a hot dog, whatever the hell you want to do, and just bullshit out there. It becomes like a hangout. And listen, the last few years, what they did to Yankee Stadium and, and the way they rebuilt that whole bleachers, man, that shit is cool out there. We There's a lot of times we just go just to hang out there. I, I won't even go to my seats. I'll sit in my seats for like the first couple of innings. And then before you know it, I'm drinking a beer in the outfield, just hanging out, like watching a Friday night game outside and the game's live in front of me you know I, like so that's just something to kind of keep in mind if you if you ever say that the game's dull or slow or something like that definitely and i'm gonna bring in my own example for this situation so obviously with the covid thing and this relates of course to what we're talking about so now obviously new york Penn league is gone uh staten island is not even a team anymore and they moved brooklyn cyclones up to the uh double a kind of uh division double a squad whatever you want to call it and um the thing is that for my school we used to have the green and white games because green and white is our you know uniform it's the colors of our school so green and white every year we would have a green and white game you know the varsity team would play against jv team they would mix up the teams and we would play against each other and i did that in back in 2019 i think it was in june and we would do that on the Cyclones field. And that was my first year of moving to Brooklyn, getting to know the atmosphere. And I actually played on MCU Park turf. It was really cool. Um, but unfortunately, this year, you know, obviously COVID last year, so you didn't have to, you know, no season was played. And you look at this year, and it it presents a obstacle for us if we're going to do any green and white games because that's what the coach said he wanted to do he said listen you know we may not have a dinner because the capacity may not be you know what we want it to be but we you know at least want to get a green and white game in now the problem is with them moving up to double a and you having more games more than a short season um mm. low a team you know that might become an obstacle obstacle depending on the schedule so now we're thinking other options like Staten Island or somewhere else. You know, that's something, again, that Major League Baseball and a lot of people think, oh, you're just getting rid of minor league teams. No, you're removing that from the communities. And that's unfortunately the issue. And it has touched me and a couple other teammates in that same subject. Yeah, no, definitely. I could see that, you know, it's true. And they don't. You know, they look at they look at the the dollar value more so than anything else, and that's what that's what literally just comes into its numbers, numbers, numbers versus what it does for a community and how it changes everything around that community. 
and definitely and catering to the millennium or the millennials uh, of this era is not a good way to really you know i mean i'm not saying you have to cater the old folks and you know just have uh go back to baseball and on radios and stuff like that but catering to uh you know, the younger generation in terms of making new rules just to benefit them. I mean, this is not even, to be honest with you, it's not even about COVID anymore. They found a space to put in the rules and that's what it's going to be like in the future. And unfortunately, you know, I want to become a broadcaster. That's why I started this thing. Another thing that COVID impacted is, you know, the way things are set up. And a couple of radio hosts mentioned this. And also with the MLB, let's just say, um, teams this season, meaning last season, 2020, if you had your broadcaster, let's just say broadcast the Yankees, Michael K, they always stayed at Yankee Stadium. If the Yankees, for say, went out to, uh, I don't know, went out to Flushing to play the Mets, they would stay in their home booth. And unfortunately, billionaires, owners around the league will say, okay, that saves us money so we don't have to travel anymore. You know how many people would love to travel around the country just to get the scenery and stuff like that while their team that they broadcast for is in town. I mean, you're taking away from that as well. And a lot of people don't think it that way, but no, it is about the dollar. That is pretty much wrapping up the end of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Jules, thanks for coming on. You guys can check him out uh, on Twitter. Appreciate it. Uh, Giants Brawl. Also, he has two other guys that he does a podcast with, as he mentioned earlier. A new podcast out on Wednesday, you said? Yes, yeah, Wednesday, definitely. Wednesday, Wednesday, we we have it come out. It'll be on uh, Apple, Spotify, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll even, we've even been posting a little bit like unedited one on YouTube just for for shits and giggles, just for the hell of it. We throw it up there once in a while too, just in case you want to get a look at us and see what we actually look like when we're doing it. (laughs) Definitely. If you're tired of all the beat writer geekiness and all the, you know, just the generic content, these guys are really entertaining. I'm not going to lie. The first episode I was hooked on uh, was the one about, I think the title was like some goldfish last just a week, just like some fake ass giant fans. And that's where I got hooked. I said, okay, these guys are the real deal much more than other people. And it is the truth because a lot of giant fans do last a week and then they're not giant fans anymore, whether they're bandwagons or not, but uh, definitely check them out. Uh, Jules, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. And uh, talk to you later. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you on Friday.